Welcome to the Cookery by the Book podcast with Susie Chase. She's just a home cook in New York City, sitting at her dining room table, talking to cookbook authors. Hi, I'm Michelle Dahl, and this is my new book, Essential Tools, Tips, and Techniques for the Home Cook. As a home cook, I'm always looking for techniques and tips, so I was so excited to see this book pop up in my mailbox. You graduated with honors from the French Culinary Institute, and you're an instructor, plus you're a cake designer, but your true passion is educating the home cook. How did that get to be your true passion? Oh, it's kind of funny. So, yeah, I did the whole professional route route, um, ended up in lots of restaurants, <laughs> getting lots of, you know, tips and techniques. And then I started to teach at Sur La Table. And as the resident chef there, everybody who was coming to class, occasionally you would get somebody in a chef's coat, but mainly it was people who were just passionate about food and wanting to learn more um, to do at home. And every class was different every week. The, the people we had there and the techniques that we were teaching were always evolving and changing. So it really kind of piqued my interest. It made my job super fun again to have to, you know, kind of relearn things and apply them to people who were doing this at a much smaller scale and at home. How is this cookbook organized? So it is, uh, each chapter is based on a technique and the tools you need to kind of do it. So like our first chapter is rolling pins, which sounds kind of weird, I realize. Um, but I start off with just talking about all the different varieties that are, that are out there, um, what's worth spending some money on, what's worth passing on, um, how to fix it if you ruin it, <laughs> and proper technique and care. And then I jump into some recipes that are great, like recipes that will serve you for your entire life. So how to make a quick puff pastry, um, how to make ravioli dough, pasta dough, how to make a really nice uh, pat brise or pie crust. And these are things that you can personalize too. So I don't just give the recipe out, but I also talk a little bit about the what's happening, um, you know, kind of on like a molecular level. Why does the laminated dough and the puff pastry rise like it does? And what can we do to make sure that that always turns out for us? So kind of demystifying a lot of the techniques and then, you know, giving some great base recipes that people can then personalize if they want or just, you know, jump and use these forever. This is the first cookbook I've seen that's talked about useless gizmos and thingamajigs <laughs> how, and how we can clear them out. The problem is I always think I'm going to need that gizmo. So what's the oh. process for clearing things out? So if I haven't used it in six months or so, kind of like a closet, you want to just clear it out. Um, it's, it's not worth it. That's, you know, that's what yard sales are for. <laughs> Pass along our junk to somebody else who might want it. Um, but yeah, if it's if you can't use it for more than one purpose, then I also find that it's kind of kind of useless. Like a melon baller, I use all the time for lots of different things, and you know that's one of my favorite tools. And it's it's you know super basic, but to have that and to know that you can use it for so much more than just melon balling um, makes it makes it a great great tool to have. What are some different ways you use your melon baller? Um, so I core all of my apples and pears. You can take the uh, inside rib out of them. So it's like pear poaching season right now. Um, I have a, actually, there's a recipe in the book for poached pears. And it's done in a white wine and a lemon sauce. And with the melon baller, once you slice it in half, you get this perfect little sphere taken out. So you don't have to quarter it and, you know, remove the seeds that way. It's a super easy way to, to kind of pop it right out. 
That's so smart. I'm, I used to have a melon baller. I don't know where that darn thing went, so I'm going to have to get another one. <laughs> that and microplanes, I think I have multiples of because I'm always, there's always one in the dishwasher. <laughs> <laughs> one item I bet every home cook uses at least once a day is a saute pan. Go over the three types. So we have, you've got like a, a regular stainless steel, you know, your all-clad basic, the shiny ones. Um, we have a um, nonstick and with nonstick, you really want to look for something that's not Teflon. Um, and there's a couple different varieties on the market that I, that I talk about. Um, there's also crepe pans, which are kind of considered saute pans. Uh, and then you could do a, uh, like a carbon steel saute pan, which is what they usually use in restaurants. They're not as pretty. They're super heavy. Um, but they conduct heat like, like crazy, super fast. What's your favorite saute pan? My the, my main reach to is is a nonstick pan. Um, I like green pan a lot. Uh, Scan pan's my favorite. It's this. Uh, they're from Copenhagen, and what I like about it is it's not a coating. It's the actual pan that's nonstick. So you can use a fork or tongs on it, metal. You don't have to worry about little black flecks coming up. All you're going to do is kind of scratch the pan. You're not going to release any weirdness into your food. Um, and it's it's green. There's no gases that are that come off of it, like with a regular Teflon nonstick pan, if you heat it up with nothing in it, really noxious gases come off of it. Um, it's kind of dangerous. So you want to definitely make sure that you're springing for something that, that's going to be safe to use. Another frequently used item would be a sheet pan. What types of sheet pans do you prefer? So kind of similar to our saute pans, you've got like a couple different varieties. There's your heavy steel um, version, they, um, they tend to bow. They will pop up a little bit if they get over 400 degrees. So it, the heat actually changes how the molecules in the pan are moving. And it, that's what you hear like a loud bang sometimes when you're cooking something really hot, it's your pan kind of buckling. Um, so that's your heavy stainless. There's, um, a lighter kind of aluminum, sheet pans. Um, then there's also nonstick sheet pans. And the nonsticks I actually avoid for sheet pans because they tend to be darker and that darkness attracts a lot of the heat. So it gets really hot in the pan. So the bottom of your cookies get really dark, but the top is still totally raw and it's super frustrating. So if I have to use those, if, you know, for some reason I'm, I'm forced to use a nonstick pan, I usually cover it with foil so that it deflects some of the heat and, and protects my cookies a little bit. Now, when your sheet pan bows, does that mean it's ruined or sometimes it doesn't pop back? Sometimes it, it sometimes it does kind of stay like that. Um, but usually, you can push it back, or when it cools back down, you're, you'll hear that bang again, and it's it's flattening itself back out. God, I hate that bang. I feel like someone <laughs> shot something through my window. Death. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and if you put one like at work, I have these giant stainless steel tables, and if, if somebody puts down a hot sheet pan on top of it, the whole table makes this loud like shotgun bang, and the the pan sometimes will even like bounce into the air. It's really dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> Do we really need a pizza stone if we're making pizza at home? I think so. Um, pizza stones, and there's also pizza steels. Uh, and it depends on who you talk to, which is their favorite. I prefer the stone, but um, what it does, you, you cook directly on it, but if you get it wet, it does crack. 
Um, but you can still push it together. You can still continue to use it. Uh, it heats up and it distributes the heat really evenly. So like any kind of oven that you have, whether, you know, it's steam, um, electric, gas, whatever, convection, they all have hot spots. And it, when you're baking on something, uh, if you don't, if it's really delicate, you don't want to be opening up the uh, oven door over and over again. So if you're actually baking on top of a pizza stone, you put the, the pan right on top of the pizza stone, it disperses the heat much more evenly, so you don't have to go in and constantly be flipping it around to get everything evenly baked. Um, but as far as pizzas go, yes, a pizza stone, um, since it's so dry, it'll actually take some of the moisture out of the bottom of the, uh, the pizza crust. So you get this really nice crisp crust. If you're, if you're doing it on a, a stainless steel pan, it just doesn't have the same effect. You end up with a soggier pizza. It's not, not quite as crisp and authentic tasting. In addition to tips, techniques, and tools of the trade, you have a collection of really easy recipes. I made Mom's Mongolian Beef on page 183. Now, oh, why, why is this called Mom's Mongolian Beef? It was my mom. <laughs> so we, uh, I'm an army brat, and we, we would move every three or four years. And what was kind of great about that, when we lived in Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri, um, it was in the middle of the Mark Twain National Forest. We're like in the middle of nowhere. And most of the population there was army brats. Uh, and they came from all over the world. Um, Every, you know, it was such a, a wonderfully diverse community that we had, you know, my neighbor would make her own kimchi and bury it in the yard. And then on the other side, they would make their own barbecue rubs and sauces. And everybody, you know, food is just this great thing that brings everybody together. And it was kind of funny to be exposed to that in the middle of, of you know, the Mark Twain National Forest in Missouri. It's not where you would expect it. But we um, fell in love with beef bulgogi. And this is kind of a riff on that recipe that, that she would do. And like the Officer's Wives Club, they would always have a, um, a recipe book that they would put together once a year and sell. And, and so this was, this was based on one of the recipes in there that, that she had done. When I was in junior high, I went to a dance at Fort Leonard Wood. Isn't that crazy? Get out! No way! <laughs> I that used, is amazing! I used to live in um, Prairie Village, Kansas, outside of Kansas City. Uh-huh. Yeah. So funny. That's that is absolutely amazing. So, yeah, Waynesville is the town um, right yes. outside of, of Letterwood. And that's where I went to high school. So everybody went to the high school off post, and then we would all go back on post at night. And it was, it was that was the whole town. It was crazy. But it was great. I loved it. I really loved Missouri. It was, it was a great place to live. So I live in the West Village in New York City and have a small galley kitchen. So I'm dying to hear how you've made more space after outgrowing your kitchen. <laughs> Um, it's, I lived in the West Village for a while myself, you and did. I had a half half refrigerator. It wasn't even like a; it was like a hotel refrigerator. I had two burners and um, a tiny, tiny little like dorm uh, sink. It was it was hilariously tiny, so everything hung on on the walls. I just had um, like you know Julia Child had those pegboards, so I adopted that technique of just hanging everything up. So now. Um, we live in Brooklyn. I have a little bit more space, and it's kind of leached into um, another room. So I'm sort of taking over <laughs> the adjoining room. You know, crock pots and, and instant pots and Dutch ovens are huge, and they're heavy, and they take up a lot of space. So you really want to pick one that you love that you're going to want to have forever, invest in a piece, and and just keep it. So don't start accumulating too many pots and pans. Just pick one or two of each. Um and then another uh, space-saving technique 
uh, is we, you know, we've gone vertical. I have um, a shelf over the door, the entry door to the to the house, and that's got. I'm looking at it right now. There's the instant pot on top of that. Some giant uh, stock pots. All of that stuff is is kind of up and out of the way. I mean, it's a bummer in a way because you can't. It's not super easily accessible. You can't just reach and grab something. Um, but a little step stool keeps everything kind of straight, straight and neat. Ish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, neat ish. <laughs> ish, yeah. But, so, <laughs> looking what at it now, going, oh, I'm so glad you're not here. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> when you open you... the door, you can hear the paella. I have a giant paella pan hanging off of that shelf over the door. And when you open the door um, <laughs> too aggressively, it makes this giant, like, gong sound. It's kind of funny. <laughs> well, it's our you security kn- system. Yeah, you'll know if you've been broken into. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so the holidays are coming up, and your limoncello granita sounds like the perfect drink for entertaining. Describe that, and what tools do we need to pull it off? I love the limoncello granita. Um, it's it's so good, and it doesn't make any sense, but it tastes kind of creamy. Uh, the amount of alcohol that's in the recipe controls the size of the ice crystals. Um, so it, it takes a couple hours for it to get kind of jellified, but it does. It gets like jellified and you just scrape it up. You don't need any tools at all. Um, really just, uh, any sort of vessel to freeze it in. Um, it's best if it's kind of shallow and flat. So, um, you know, like a, a little lasagna pan or any kind of, um, even a cookie sheet, if it has wide or tall enough sides, you dissolve the sugar down. Um, basically making like a simple syrup and then mix that in with the uh, lemoncello. I did it once with orange cello, um, which is just an orange version of the same liqueur. And it was fantastic too. I love it. Um, If you want to get fancy and you want to have a little um, cookie portioner, you can scoop it up with that. That works really well. But otherwise, just spoons is fine. For my segment called My Last Meal, what would you choose for your last supper? It changes day to day. Uh, It's cold out right now, so I would want like a beef bourguignon and a bottle or two of wine if it's my last supper. I mean, you know. Why not? Um, (laughs) Some roasted potatoes. Uh, I make potatoes with um, herbe de Provence, super simple. You just some olive oil and herbe de Provence. That would be really nice. They crisp up really pretty on a on a sheet pan. And then for dessert, um, I would probably do a pavlova with a passion fruit curd. Where can we find you on the web and social media? Sure. Um, so on Instagram, it's Chef Michelle Dahl. And um, on Facebook, the same, Michelle Dahl, D-O-L-L. Um, and my website is Michelle Dahl Makes. And I'm um, currently teaching at the New York Cake Academy in Manhattan. They just reopened, and they have this big, beautiful kitchen, uh, uh, teaching space. So I've been getting to teach there as well as um, still being an adjunct at the International Culinary Center. Well, thanks for coming on Cookery by the Book podcast. Thanks for having me. It was so much fun. Follow me on Instagram at Cookery by the Book. Twitter is I am Susie Chase. And download your kitchen mixtapes, music to cook by, on Spotify at Cookery by the Book. And as always, subscribe in Apple Podcasts.